It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Lucy Lloyd. Lucy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you. Lucy joins us bright and early all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Lucy is a business owner. She has over 10 years of experience developing and managing strategy for leading global brands. She has managed the development of hundreds of digital campaigns, websites, apps, and SaaS products. That's a software as a service. And she has taken leadership roles in development and creative agencies from London to Melbourne uh, with experience in project management, product design, data and analytics, and digital communications. She recently, as she says, went all in and and started her own business, which we're going to chat about, uh, co-founding Mentor Loop with her business partner Heidi Holmes. Mentor Loop helps companies effortless, effortlessly, rather, that was hard to get out, <laughs> <laughs> build a mentoring culture for more engaged, connected, and productive business. As I mentioned, Lucy lives in Melbourne, Australia, and so in today's episode, Lucy's going to share with us briefly her journey to how she got to where she is today, some of those experiences along the way. And we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive on her insights on starting a business, and she's gone through that not too long ago, and the benefits of mentorship for small business owners. So once again, Lucy Lloyd, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. Thanks a lot for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. So let's start uh, at the beginning, if we if we could, back to university. And sure. uh, if I got it right, you, you went to school in Melbourne and studied, uh, I think, business communications, economics, and French. Or tell me what I got wrong there. Yeah, no, that that's right. I mean, BCom was the um, was my yeah the undergrad degrees I did. But yeah, I studied economics and French, which really didn't set me up for <laughs> any kind of employability at all, let alone starting my own business. Um, but yeah, that was what I was interested in. I wanted to get into government when I was at uni. I wanted to ah. kind of help form policy, and yeah, that was that was what I was interested in. And then you did, after school, go work for um, a government agency, if I understood it correctly. Yeah, that's right. So as soon as I graduated, I went to work for our, um, our state government here in um, our local state, Victoria and Australia. But I didn't last very long because uh, during my last year of university, I'd fallen in love with a man who lived in London. And so I really was only kind of eight months in that first job uh, before I had to move to London to to pursue that. <laughs> now, how did you meet him, curiously? Oh, I was um, I was studying in France for, for a semester during my final year. And he was actually a South African guy, but living in London. And we happened to kind of, you know, run into each other. And yeah, then, you know, th the rest is history. We're married now. 
living happily ever after. Yeah, but you convinced right. you convinced them to come back to Australia somehow. Eventually, yes, that's right. So I moved <laughs> to London for I moved to London initially. I made the bit first big move, and then eventually just to see if it was you know a thing, and right. it was. Um, so yeah, he eventually moved back to Australia with me about that's ten years fantastic. ago. So do you use the French at all now? No. <laughs> God, these are hard questions. Um, no, I don't. I haven't gone been back to France for a while now. So, yeah, I do need to get back into it. But, you know, it's one of those things if you don't practice it, you just, yeah, you lose it. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard with the second language. Yeah. All right, so if I understood it correctly also in that first opportunity with the local government, it was a type of mentorship or internship program. Explain that to me if you would. Yeah, that's right. It was a graduate program. And so you kind of went on rotation in different government departments. It was actually an amazing program and, and really kind of set me up in terms of my personal discipline um, and, and my, I guess, ability to kind of uh, communicate as well. And so it was a fantastic uh, experience where you went in rotation with different kind of supervisors over the course of a 12-month period until you then decided which part of government was was right for you. Um, so, yeah, it actually was a fantastic mentorship journey, but also a, a great way for um, young people who don't necessarily know exactly what they want to do to, to get a taste of a few things and then, and then make a call. So I'm assuming that must have planted the seed with, for this interest in facilitating mentorship. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I do trace it back. I mean, it planted the seed as well for kind of what would become my, I guess, my first you know, main career, which was project management. So I did a lot of kind of project management training and communications training as part of that government work. But yeah, I had some fantastic mentors during that period to just, you know, I mean, government can kind of seem, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but in Australia, it can seem, you know, quite a staid kind of, you know, slow moving uh, beast, but I was in um, uh, the kind of department of uh, it was it was a department that of business development, so to kind of attract investment into Australia. So it was actually quite fast moving and really interesting projects, and yeah, it was it was a fantastic experience. Yeah, not what we would typically, I think, think of when we talk no. about government or public sector. Um, no, that's right. It wasn't a whole lot of people in cardigans, you know, sitting around, mm-hmm. yeah, not, not doing much. It was, yeah, yeah, and also the mentality, what you have in that sector a lot of times is the mentality of, you know, lasting till you retire and yeah, so you don't want to make right. any waves kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And look, I mean, that still, that still does characterize those, those kind of large government departments. But they were certainly doing their best to to really shake things up, particularly with the grad program and kind of fast tracking younger people through the right. the ranks essentially of of yeah the government department. All right. So then, as you said, you had a career in different roles in project management and leading different types of projects. You kind of went into the online world yeah, so- and, and managed projects there. Exactly. So I fell into tech just kind of by accident in London because it was just the first job I was able to find. Um, and yeah, so I started out in web app and well, website and web app development for clients, moved into the strategy side as well. So a lot of search engine optimization, um, uh, digital marketing and kind of got a really good, I guess, this is kind of around 2000 and, and seven to 2009. So it was really when um, think products like Google Maps were just starting to emerge, you know, a search engine optimization was just starting to become something that small businesses spoke about um, as part of their strategy. And it was a great time to kind of ride the wave of, of those uh, those ways of communicating becoming more prevalent. Lucy, why, why were you good at managing projects? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just a bit of a, I'm a bit, uh, not OCD, but a bit, 
I am quite a perfectionist um, and I do I do like to be organized and I do like to document and you know feel comfortable when things are executing properly so it was just it fit in with my kind of my natural nerdis, nerdishness. How does that help you now in running your business? It's extremely helpful I mean that discipline um, even just you know the love of a good spreadsheet as the starting point for anything that I'm planning. Uh, it, it serves you very well to just document, and particularly for our business, we've we've we're now five people, but you know, three months ago we were two people, and so um, it has just that documentation allows you to onboard new people so easily and quickly, um, and to you know communicate things that you know. I guess as an entrepreneur, you've often got a lot of stuff up in your head that you're you know too much stuff that you're kind of running from thing to thing. So the more you can document, the easier it is to start to actually, you know, give responsibilities out to other people when you're in a position to grow. Yeah, that's a great point. I I have a bit of project management experience in my background as well, and I I definitely think it has helped me. However, sometimes I have found that it can be a challenge because I don't want to let go of projects. Um, Have you had that issue or that challenge? Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's let go of projects, but also sometimes when you're running your own business, you need to be really, really agile as well. And you don't necessarily have time to go through, you know, the seven stages of a fantastic project as well. So yeah, it can be hard to let go and it can also be hard to actually um, drop some of the discipline when you have to move really quickly. Right. Okay. So in 2016, then early 2016 is when you founded MentorLoop with your business partner, I'm interested in what led up to deciding to take that leap to start your own business. Had it been something that had been developing for some time? Was there something that happened? Tell us a little bit about that time. Sure. Um, So my business partner, Heidi, uh, and I went to high school together. So we'd known each other at at that stage for, I guess, 10 years. Uh, We've now, well, no, kind of 15 years. So we've now known each other almost 20 years. Um, And we were having a glass of wine and a conversation as you do about your career. She'd started her own business a couple of years previously, a tech business as well, a a job board um, for for mature age workers. And I just moved back to Australia. So so we were discussing that that kind of position that uh, people of around 30 often find themselves in where they are maybe looking to take that next step in their career, uh, but aren't sure exactly how to proceed and so the idea of mentorship came up um, and how wouldn't it be wonderful if you could easily connect with that future version of yourself to take you by the hand and guide you into the next stage of your career and in doing that talk, talking about mentoring we wondered why dating a dating site for mentoring relationships didn't exist you know it seemed like a great opportunity for something LinkedIn could do but they hadn't done it and so this dating site for mentoring came from one conversation over a glass of wine but but you know endured beyond that particular um, session and we we started to talk more and more about it and realized yeah that it, there was something in it and we should we should look at forming a business around mentoring had you already started thinking about doing something on your own I hadn't, but I had a history of joining small companies, small businesses and, and taking on too much responsibility. Um, you know, I guess not too much it kind of, you know, in terms of the, the outcomes, but the, the, the clues were there that I needed to run my own show. Um, because I would always be frustrated at how quickly the businesses I was working with were, were moving or that we weren't taking the opportunities there. So I kind of, that frustration pointed out to me that maybe I was, I was more naturally, um, suited to, to running my own show. Did it help that you were going to do it jointly with somebody you knew and trusted? 
Absolutely. And look, I mean, it's only helped more and more over the years. I think at the time we didn't realise how amazing that decision was. Um, now, I, when I speak to other founders and solo founders and solo business owners, um, they, you know, they, they're, they're dealing with it all by themselves. And I, I take my hat off to them. It's extraordinary. But with Heidi and I, if, if one of us, you know, is having a bit of a crisis of confidence, the other one stands up taller. And, you know, it's just so wonderful to have someone to st- share every step of the journey with and you know we're essentially each other's peer mentors you know we we kind of we're adjusting to this kind of new world together at the same time and and supporting each other through it yeah it's fantastic but but, and I prefer working in partnerships myself Lucy but often and of course people tell you don't go into business with your friends or your family because you you never know how that's going to turn out right what do you think has been key to you and Heidi working well together did you have any conversations up front about this um how has the relationship continued to be positive and work now that you're in business together not just friends yeah i mean it's an, it's an interesting one because it was quite organic and i mean to that point about family and friends i i guess i can see where the where the pitfalls might be but you know, there's so many advantages to to fully trusting the person that you're going into business with. And Heidi and I, you know, we'd known each other a long time, so we were we were tight. And uh, you know, just that advantage of never having to kind of question her whether I could trust her, and vice versa, um, has been one of the strongest things. But uh, have, you, to, have you separated roles to make sh- to kind of yeah. minimize stepping on each other? Yeah, we have. I mean, we do overlap a lot in in our skills, but we we did very early on. So I guess the first thing we did was was kind of formalize the share a share agreement. So we yeah. just kind of created just a you know a business um, uh, kind of structure where we just each had one share. So out of two shares, we each had one. So even it didn't cost us much money, but it was just so even no matter what happened, we just formalized it up front. Uh, and then yeah, we did a ta- kind of a task separation exercise. So we just had yeah a big sheet of paper and you know these tasks that we moved around into columns and that still is pretty fluid but um it was great to kind of upfront do that exercise so that you know each six months or so we can reset and go okay now how we're we splitting our time and when we get really busy we're both doing a lot of the same stuff but we we do we are very good at getting out of each other's way i listened to another show you were on and you talked about that at the end of the day, you don't want to take this too seriously, right? It is business. It isn't life yeah. or death. Do yeah, you apply right. that to when things get maybe a little crossways or maybe even heated? Does that, does that what you apply to help you step back and say, wait a second, this is not that serious? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, Heidi and I have had our moments um, where we've had, yeah, you know, we may have disagreed. And look, look, it was probably really, really early on when we were still working out exactly what we were. Um, But yeah, we would, you know, we'd just take a step back, um, meet at uh, the pub and have a beer. And over that beer, just have a quick conversation, you know, about kind of, okay, what are we really doing here? And just step back. What's the big picture? How are we getting to that? How did, how do you feel? How do I feel? And just, you know, have a reset outside of the context of the office, even though in those days we didn't actually have an office. (laughs) Yeah. Great, great advice there. That's good. Thanks for sharing that. That a lot of people obviously do partner and that's always a question that comes up how to do that well. I think the biggest mistake people make sometimes is they go into it in the honeymoon phase where everything is great, but they don't prepare for when things might not go so well. 
Mm. Uh, so planning think, up front, yeah. having an agreement, those kind of things. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I know. And I, absolutely. I think the agreement, the structures there, but also just surfacing everything immediately as soon as it That's occurs right. to you. So when we were first started, we were often not working together because we both had full-time jobs. So we'd be doing things around our, our other, you know, work and responsibilities. So, you know, people have a tendency to fall back to email a lot. You know, they just can communicate via email and the written word is fantastic, but there's nothing can replace picking up the phone or if you can, just getting a quick kind of 15 minutes face-to-face to just sort something something out. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So that's the other topic I wanted to talk about is you. So you started while you both kept your day jobs. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Well, Heidi had another business and yeah, I was, oh, right. um, she did, had the other yeah. business. Yeah. And I was, Does she still have that business or did she fade out of that or no, sell she, that or she exited that, um, at the end of, right. uh, I think it was 2014. Yeah. Right, and, and if I understood correctly, you started the business, you funded it at least initially with your own money. Is that right? That's right. So, you know, in the startup kind of tech world, it's called bootstrapping. Um, but yeah, so essentially we were just, yeah, kind of earning our monthly wage and then taking a por- fair portion of it and putting it into the business because neither of us um, actually is a developer. Uh, so we engage developers to build the best version of our product. And uh, yeah, it was, you know, it, it wasn't crazily expensive looking back. We hardly spent any money, but it, we certainly felt it each month, you know, putting the money into that, to the project. Well, we called it a project, but what would eventually become our business. So when did you decide to leave your job and for her to exit her prior business? Did you do that around the same time? Was there a metric that you tied it to? Yeah, it was, um, it was our first raise. So we, okay. we, we kind of we we bootstrapped the business. We put um, uh, the product out to three clients, kind of for proof of market, basically, proof that people would pay um, to to have this problem solved for their organisation, and that you know they'd continue to pay having seen the first version of our product, which was terrible. Um, and so <laughs> the um, the the fact that people were still willing to pay for it spoke volumes for the strength of the market and the strength of the opportunity. And so we used that as proof uh, to take to kind of some investors uh, locally, uh, a bit of family and friends as well, um, to show them kind of our plan. And then based on our, our initial kind of what, what's now known kind of as a pre-seed round of $300,000, we gave ourselves that threshold. If we get to $300,000, we'll, we'll, you know, jettison everything else and go full-time on Mental Loop and give it a, give it a red-hot go. <laughs> yeah, and here you are. Here so a couple of things there that you touched on that I want to come back to the the whole concept that gets talked a lot about. In fact, recently I listened to a podcast from Reed Hoffman, and he talks about uh, very famously that if you're not embarrassed by your first version, then you're not doing it right. <laughs> yeah, I um, love and it. It sounds like that applied to you whether, whether it was <laughs> yeah. intentional or not, right? <laughs> yeah, but I'm still embarrassed it, if I'm honest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Looking as you look at it, though, and looking back at it, do you think that that was the right way to do it? In other words, there was no way that you would have gotten something out that was, quote unquote, perfect anyway? No, and sometimes I hear stories of, you know, amazing people who are able to go to investors with a vision and get, you know, $4 million to build the most beautiful product imaginable and, and put it out there. But those stories are very rare. 
so yeah, I mean, the only way, like minimum viable product is kind of a philosophy that we, we live by every day in every aspect of our business. So even not just in our product, but our business processes, you know, the way we communicate with clients, um, where we're trying a minimum viable product initially to test the concept before we ever really invest anything. And I think it's a, that, that whole kind of philosophy is, 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 served us extremely well in terms of keeping us as lean as possible for as long as possible. Yeah, I agree. We're, we're applying that as well in a, one of the businesses that we have launched recently is a software application. The, the challenge I have is I, I tend to be a perfectionist or not yeah. tend to be. Yeah. So it's hard for me, right. As to what's, what's MVP, what's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you struggle with that or does Heidi uh, yeah, struggle I with sure that? I sure do. No, yeah. I mean, I think we both struggle with it, but I think I'm more the perfectionist, hence going back to that kind of project management, you know, attention to detail yeah. thing. Um, and so, yeah, I do, you know, I struggle with it, you know, deeply and emotionally. And when someone doesn't like what we put out there, you know, I, I agonize about it, but you've got to just roll with it. And, you know, it's the only way to develop. It's about accepting that that is the process, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And and, and, and we come from a background where that's, especially in the corporate world, can't, you're not supposed to have those major failures, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you are supposed to dot all those I's and cross all those T's, but yeah, it is accepting it's the process, but it's still, it's still a battle day to day. You do still want it to be um, perfect, but I think when you start your own business, you know, and start kind of shipping product that isn't kind of necessarily perfect, you just get comfortable with being uncomfortable most of the time. Yeah. All right. So you've touched on it a couple of times, but tell us what is the problem that you're addressing with Mentor Loop? Sure. So uh, as, as I kind of alluded to from where it came from, the problem that we initially were looking at addressing is the individual's problem. So you're kind of, you know, early or, or mid in your career, you might be looking for a change or you might be just looking to kind of to ramp up. Uh, and, you know, it's hard for you to find those connections. And it seems like mentoring, great mentoring sometimes applies to that select few, you know, they're, they're relationships that are formed behind closed doors through kind of existing old networks. And if you don't have access to those networks, then then you're locked out. And so accessibility and accessibility to these amazing relationships is something that really drives us every day. We feel like mentoring should be something that everyone can access um, and, and get you know, great results from regardless of their industry or, or their social situation or their geography. Uh, so then when we started playing with this idea of mentoring, we started looking at companies who were running great mentoring programs and saw that a lot of the time they were using spreadsheets and emails. So we said, okay, well, that's a problem that we can solve really easily with software. And so initially MentorLoop was built as just an admin tool um, to help companies scale their mentoring programs beyond the 50 people or 100 people they could manage in a spreadsheet. But and, now, and typically those programs were internal to that organization? That's right. Or not yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, um, and and a lot of our clients are still that way. So they can essentially they have a kind of walled garden in Mentor Loop where they're they're running an internal mentoring program, connecting their internal people. And whereas before they may have offered it to kind of fifty of their thousand strong workforce, now they can open it up to everyone and they can get three hundred people engaged. So it's about making better relationships in from a mentoring perspective, but also available to more people. 
and then the next stage of our of our product is is gradually opening that up between companies. So obviously you've got to be a certain size of a company to to take advantage of an internal mentoring program. But there's a huge opportunity for yeah people like you and I who are running their own businesses and have staff that they want to develop, and it may only be a couple of staff to access what we call our cross company mentoring platform. I see. And that's, that makes a lot of sense because the question I had in my mind is how did you get this started so that there was enough mentors and mentorees to match up, Yeah. but you're facilitating that you facilitated that initially within a larger organization and now company to company. Is it harder to, in that case, when you're dealing with smaller businesses, is it harder to find people who will offer their mentorship because that takes an investment of their time? Uh, or no, we, what has been the challenge there? Yeah, I mean, the challenge is, I guess, getting to a critical mass so that the experience is meaningful enough for everyone um, from the get-go. So essentially what we're doing at the moment is building a pool of companies. So we have 25 um, uh, great companies across different uh, uh, different industries that have signed up to what we're calling our beta. And um, that's, yeah, essentially we'll we'll put those people in together and, and match them up with our existing mentors and the new mentors that come in. Um, and then once we have, we, we see kind of critical mass as being say 500 people in the platform, then individuals will be able to just log in and, and, and kind of register themselves and, and connect themselves. But we don't, we never see the shortage of a shortage of mentors, to be honest. Um, you know, quality control with mentors is something that we, we take very seriously. So we do, uh, obviously we kind of have quality control in the sense that the mentors we're signing onto the platform at the moment are connected to large organizations where they're recognized as mentors already. Uh, but people, you know, are surprisingly willing to give of their time and uh, particularly, I guess, people getting to kind of the maybe 50s, uh, mid to late 50s, often looking at kind of partial retirement. They also sometimes have time where they want to give back and want to keep their hand in as well. So we've never run up against a shortage of mentors. That's fantastic. And so you do a level of vetting. The other thought that came into my mind is how do you potentially avoid conflicts of interest, competitive information, those types of things. How does that we, get Yeah, we haven't gotten hugely kind of involved at that level. We, we rely on people being good actors in the community. Yeah. So we do have kind of mentoring agreements that um, or templates that people can use to, to set up their initial mentoring relationship. Uh, we, we try to keep as open communication as possible with the, um, the, the leaders in those, those organizations just so they know who's been matched with who, but essentially we do rely on the um, the community to, to police itself largely and to act in, you know, an honest way. Yeah, no, wonderful. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast, and I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner, I understand the challenges you are experiencing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching session, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. 
All right, so you're uh, what, a year and a half into this seriously, which is still very young. Yeah. What, what are some of the things that, that still keep you up at night these days without sharing anything confidential, obviously? Yeah, I mean, it's hmm, probably recently. Like, I mean, it's everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's the, it's the product, it's the customers, it's the sales, it's it's all of the things. Um, but I suppose what's interesting at the moment, it's not so much that it's a worry, but it's just something that we're watching closely is the n- amount of competition. So when we first started talking to people about mm. mentoring, we felt like we were the only ones having the mentoring conversation. And now it just feels like in the last six months, it's, mentoring's kind of exploded um, and there's a lot of plat- a few more platforms out there but also there's just a lot more discussion about it which is great for us because it means that now we're kind of 12 months ago we had to convince people that this was a thing now um, they accept that there should be software out there so they're searching actively for mentoring software which is great for us yeah so competition evangelize as much yeah yeah, exactly. And I think I think people, you know, it's always a constant struggle to find and, and hire the right people. Um, you know, at the end of the day, our business is people. So, uh, yeah, that's probably one of the major things that, that we consider, you know, a priority and, a, and an, mm-hmm. a challenge potentially over the next 12 months. People and competition. So is that where, as you, your role, what is your role between you and Heidi? Are you CEO? Are you co-CEOs? How do you divvy that up? We, um, I am CEO, Heidi's COO, uh, but yeah, as I say, they do kind of overlap. So I guess essentially I'm, I'm responsible for product and business development. Um, Heidi okay. also takes some business development and she is customer success. So we, you know, we are a small team, so all of these things do overlap. But, but because of my background, I've, I've, I have built a, a number of tech products in the past or managed the, built, the um, development of them. So that's my kind of wheelhouse. Uh, business development, you know, we're both always doing that because we're an early stage business. And then customer success is really important to us because uh, we do kind of tend to land and expand with our clients. They sign on as a pilot and then we expand them with them over time. And so customer success is, yeah, it's kind of a discipline in itself. Now, when you brought on the additional funding or the first round of funding and then subsequent, have you had to give up any ownership stake in the company? Yeah. So Heidi and I currently um, still own uh, 40% each, basically. So we, we've essentially given away just under 20%. Right, um, not, and not 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 much, which is great, no, right? I mean, comparatively yeah. to other deals that I see and hear about. That's right. And so at the moment, uh, yeah, last year we raised that, that 300K. We're raising again right now, so we will dilute further. Okay. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's it's a balancing act and it's kind of there's a balance between how much money you need to get through the next 18 months ideally or, you know, get yourself through to that next milestone, uh, balanced with how much equity you need to remain really motivated and interested in your own business, balanced right. with, yeah, how much you can actually realistically raise. So, you know, it's never there's no kind of, I guess, precise equation. Sometimes it is just what what the market will bear in a way. Is part of the accelerating through external sources and giving away a piece, is it, is it about you believe that the game here to an extent is who's going to reach critical mass first? I mean, you talked about the competition. There's a relatively low barrier to entry, I got to think, from a technical perspective, right? Yeah. So as you gain market share, that's important here in winning this that's this exactly right. in the market. Okay. 
yeah, we're at a point now where mentor loop could survive forever. Um, it, you know, we're not kind of living and dying by this next funding round, but the funding round enables us to move really swiftly. And so to kind of maintain our team of now five, but also we're looking to kind of grow to 12 over the next six to 12 months. So in order to do that, the injection of funding is really important and allows us to move quickly and take advantage of this, yeah, this emerging opportunity. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, is MentorLoop only available to Australian clients now? Is it worldwide? Tell me about Not that. Not at all. It's it's worldwide. So we're kind of where we are probably 70% Australian just by virtue of where we are, but we've got sure. a couple of uh, different clients in the States, a couple in the UK and Europe. So yeah, essentially it can be used anywhere and we 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 support yeah, we we support all kind of time zones. What's been your your sales channel in those remote areas, states, Europe? Have you been doing that yourself? Are you working with a partner? How have you attacked those markets? So far, it's just been ourselves. So we've relied a lot on a kind of incoming, um, so incoming inquiries based on kind of the sure. content and SEO uh, stuff that we've done. And um, yeah, it, it is still pretty relationship-based sales at the moment. We're hoping to, to automate it more in the future, but we're still learning so much from every conversation we have that, uh, yeah, we're spending a lot of time on sales. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Is that part of why you're going on podcasts is to spread the word of what you're offering? <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. Particularly for that cross company, um, that cross company piece. You know, we do. We're looking for yeah companies that are looking to develop their people in kind of a, you know a relatively cheap way if they don't necessarily have a learning and development budget to connect them with other people and give them those opportunities uh, for them to be. Yeah, please get in touch with us and and become part of kind of you know what we call the mentoring revolution. Right. So, Lucy, to that end, who who is who's an ideal client for you now? Or is it a pretty broad definition? Well, the ideal client for our software as a service product is really companies with, you know, between 200 and, and 2,000 employees tend to get the most benefit out of it. But um, the, the cross-company platform that we're launching is basically for companies of any size. Uh, so it... Um, and, and any industry, but we're not talking about technical specialist skills here. We're really talking about a soft skills exchange. So we find that, um, you know, small agencies uh, have, have signed up. We have a couple of small media companies, um, some kind of small manufacturing companies, uh, yeah, basically it's, yeah, it's, it varies, but it tends to be kind of a mix of people who are looking to develop professional services skills often. So it might be sales or relationship management, stakeholder management, communication planning, business planning, et cetera. Right. Excellent. All right. You as a small business owner now, how do you, and maybe also Heidi, how do you leverage mentorship yourself? It's or kind do of you offer mentorship? So how, how do you play yeah. in that role now? Well, I guess, yeah, both sides, definitely. And that's the beauty of mentoring is that everyone can, can sit on both sides of the marketplace. You know, once they've got a couple of years' experience, we all recognize that we've got something to offer people coming up behind us. But, um, yeah, I think my, my experience with mentoring has evolved. Like early in my career, my mentors were, you know, I think they were fundamentally cheerleaders, you know, there to kind of plug a confidence gap um, that I had when I first entered the workforce, whereas now – the best advice I get um, is from almost peers. So when when I speak to people like 
you know, successful business people who have done it all, have had an amazing exit, who, you know, it's all a kind of dim memory that went really well. I don't necessarily get the insights or the great kind of nuggets of information from them that I do the the founders or the entrepreneurs who are still really feeling the issues that I'm feeling. So the people three months ahead of you often give you better advice than anybody else because they're still grappling with the same issues you are. And I think peer mentoring, particularly for entrepreneurs and people running their own businesses, is is extremely important just to understand that you're not alone when you're approaching something for the first time and have no idea how, how to start. Yeah, such such an important topic. We've covered this topic quite often on this show a couple of different ways. One is that what I've found and I find with others on, on other entrepreneurs is it can be a very lonely experience, hence why a partnership is also Absolutely. of benefit because you've got yeah. that other person, right? Yeah. But we, we can get very isolated. The people that we surrounded ourselves with, our peers previously at our job, our family, they don't understand <laughs> and can't really help us much, right? Yeah, no, that's right. Exactly. I find myself in social situations sometimes where I have to like mentally change gears so that yes. I don't just talk about my business. Um, right. So yeah, it's it's funny one. The other thing that happens with small business owners, including myself, is I'm sure ego is part of it where we say, well, I, I got this. I'll figure this out. Yes. Reaching yeah. out is a sign of weakness. And then maybe mm. that's more so for the men in the audience, including myself. But there's something to that, right? We became entrepreneurs in part because our ego in part said we can do this, but as small business owners are particularly challenged with then isolating themselves and not reaching out for help. Yeah. And I think it cuts both ways on gender. Like maybe, maybe it could be ego, but also even if you're feeling, you know, like you're, you, maybe you've got a bit of imposter syndrome and you're feeling like you're not necessarily kind of good enough to play. That's even more reason to not ask for help, if that makes sense, because you, yeah, you want yeah. to prove yourself if you're feeling like an imposter in that space. And I mean, you know, we think about this a lot because we're female founders in a largely kind of male dominated, you know, the tech scene, et cetera. Um, but yeah, if you feel like an imposter, you're even less likely to ask for help because you are so keen to prove yourself. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a fatal mistake to not ask for help because everybody, everybody loves to be asked for help. <laughs> so this platform I got to see helps, I got to think helps with that because it takes away his, it's why it works in part with dating, right? It takes a little yeah. bit of that awkwardness away the and facilitates away. it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, you know, it's, you don't want to just walk up to someone on the street and say, will you be my mentor? Um, you you want to know that they've opted in and that, that kind of, that just single simple act of having already opted in just greases the wheels and yeah, you're, you're on, off to the races. I'm sorry, I've just mixed about four metaphors in there. <laughs> no, that's all good. I'm following you completely. I can see that. I can see that perfectly. I was thinking as you were describing that, where if I were to go on and see, oh, I didn't know that person would be willing to mentor, right? So the, mm, those kind of things exactly. start to happen within yeah. an organization. Wow, I, I didn't see, never thought he would be a person or she would be a person that would be exactly. willing to it surfaces share their time. stuff that's latent that you can't see and people aren't seeing. And so if then it's not being seen, it's not being leveraged. And so companies are sitting on this human capital that they're not taking advantage of as well. Yeah. And that's that's at the heart of it, isn't it? That the question I was going to ask is how does it make us more productive? But it's unleashing that human capital. Absolutely. And people do want to share and and we are so much more productive when we do talk to others that are especially like you said, our peers. Yeah. Um yeah, talk to I mean, me about it, that and your experiences there. Yeah, it differs from um 
from company to company, I guess the fund, like, you know, they'll have particular goals. So some, some people we work with, it's just about skills exchange, you know, it's just about learning and development or org dev. For other companies, it's about women in leadership, or it might be about succession planning, or it might be about, you know, onboarding graduates. But regardless of what kind of the core KPI um, is that they're framing the mentoring program around, there are so many positive goods or positive externalities coming out of it. So, um, things like uh, engagement, retention, um, uh, and yeah, as we say, kind of unlocking that human capital all kind of skyrocket as mentoring or a mentoring culture is introduced into an organisation. You know, better collaboration and smart collaboration that is kind of with a purpose, not just collaboration for collaboration's sake. Um, yeah, it really helps companies move the needle in terms of productivity. Yeah, no doubt. Great stuff. My personal question for you, what do you love most about what you do today? Uh, gosh, there's, yeah, no, I guess like the things that keep me up at night, there's so many things. Um, uh, it's just, it's, it's constantly different. So it's constantly, I'm constantly learning. Um, and I think that's one of the most important things. Again, this ties back, everything ties back to mentoring. Um, but I think if you feel like you're going into work and learning every single day, you never get bored you know you never you never have that kind of stagnation feeling that can be such death when you're working for someone else so I think that constant learning um is great but also the people I mean opening up kind of that network of fellow entrepreneurs and and meeting other people starting their own businesses from from you know outside like all walks of life I guess is such a kind of cliche but it's true they are you know legitimately I I, I kind of hadn't realized that my network had been quite closed until I started to meet other founders but it's just phenomenal to to find these people who are driven to start their own businesses yes yeah, fantastic so if I ask you what you love the most about being an entrepreneur there's probably some similarities but what is it that you enjoy about being your own boss uh I think just being able to make calls um so i mean calls as in like a captain's call like being able to just say look this is how we're doing it we're going to give this a whirl you know we'll test it for a week and then see if it works rather than having to kind of convene a committee and then you know get a vote and decide okay well this is the policy let's plan it out etc i really like being able to move quickly and you know potentially things don't work out but being able to just make that make decisions really quickly is amazing yeah, I, I love that as well. That's important for me. I, <laughs> yeah. I I look at that. That's an interesting thing I'd like to dive in for a moment on. I also look at that, that as an entrepreneur, you have to embrace decision making. You have to want to be the person or one or two people that make those decisions. Were were you always that type of person, do you think? Uh I think I have been pretty decisive, but as you're kind of saying that, I do realize that when I'm most uncomfortable with mental loop and with this process is when I'm subconsciously putting a decision off. <laughs> um, and as soon as I think about it and I go, oh, I must act on that. Okay, I'll go this way. As soon as I make the decision, I feel better. But it, that's kind of the mainly, yeah, the main source of kind of my stress is where I, I haven't made a particular decision that I need to make in the business. And so it's, um, yeah, something I'm getting better at doing more quickly quickly as well. And, you know, the decision doesn't have to be the be all and end all either. Like it's, it's micro decisions that are the important things moving quickly with those. And it doesn't like, I guess one thing we were looking at this year is whether one of us would move over to the States, um, to, uh, expand the business more kind of significantly in the States, potentially moving to the Bay area. And, you know, we were kind of looking at it as an, and or scenario, you know, we're going to pick up and move over there, it's happening and, and, you know, it's forever kind of thing when really we need to look at it as in 
why don't we start with four trips a year uh, and then we'll gradually accelerate those trips. And as soon as we're making, as soon as immigration is starting to look at us funny, then it's time to start thinking about, you know, <laughs> one of us actually moving over there properly. So, you know, it doesn't have to be an and or scenario. It can also be, yeah, I guess kind of breaking down decisions into more manageable ones. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I've also found that the, you got to look at it as it's not that you're going to make every decision correctly. And by the way, you know, we're, we don't have patients' lives in our hands like we were talking yeah, about earlier. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but we know we have enough confidence as business owners. You have to develop enough confidence that you'll make most of the decisions are, are going to be right or, or close yeah. enough. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, it's, but it's that paralysis, as we touched on as well, of not deciding that can kill your business. Absolutely. And yeah, it, it also gives you the most angst, I think, as well. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so we've uh, talked about MentorLoop. Is there something we haven't touched on that you'd like to share with our audience about MentorLoop and what you offer? We talked about who the ideal clients are. Is there anything that we left out you'd like to mention? No, I mean, I just, yeah, I guess if it sounds interesting to your listeners, I'd love for them to yeah, go to mentorloop.com and check it out. Um, uh, we've got, if they're a larger organization, then uh, we can certainly help them to set up internal, uh, build an internal mentoring culture. But if they're a smaller organization, then yeah, sign up for the cross-company mentoring program um, beta and mm -hmm. give it a whirl and help us kind of, uh, I guess, develop the best way to connect um, people in these, yeah, kind of mutually beneficial reciprocal relationships. Wonderful. And we'll have a link to that site as well. If you don't have an opportunity to write that down right now or remember it, just go to the show notes page for this episode and there'll be a link there. Fantastic. All right. Uh, last couple of questions, a book that you've read recently or that you're reading now that you would recommend to our listeners. Um, I, really enjoyed uh the hard thing about hard things um by ben horowitz have you read it i have not it's um it's you know it is very much kind of centered in i guess the the, the tech space um but it's it's just it's basically it's his kind of narration of his journey so ben horowitz is anderson horowitz um you know a VC, big vc fund in in um mm -hmm. In the Bay Area, and yeah, basically, it just kind of is his narrative of these terribly, <laughs> terribly difficult things that he's had to deal with over the course of his his own journey. And yeah, it's an extraordinary, um, extraordinary read, and it just makes you feel so uh, not alone when you're making, you know, hard decisions. Right. Good. I was going to ask you what, what's been one of the takeaways from that, but that's definitely one of them right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's fantastic to kind of put your put your stuff into perspective as well. It's just kind of written in a way that, yeah, gives you that perspective. Like we spoke about with the lives not being in our hands, you know, the perspective is the main thing to keep a hold of. Right, right. Wonderful. Thanks for that recommendation. We'll have a link to it as well on the show notes page. All right, we'll wrap it up here. Last couple of questions. Last parting piece of advice or thought. Again, Keeping in mind what we've talked about, people who are listening, who are starting their business or about to launch and starting their business, or about mentorship and how that can help us as entrepreneurs, just parting thoughts that you might have on that topic. Yeah, I mean, I think that ask for help one 
is a big one. Like, yeah, make sure, you know, ask for help because it's extraordinary how keen people are to, to give of their time and of their advice. And, you know, obviously you can't, <laughs> we talk about mental whiplash a little bit internally mm. where people get too much advice and start to kind of, you know, I guess, you know, blow about with all the different kind of winds of advice that they're getting. Um, so it is also important to run it through your own filter as well. And um, the best mentors share their experience rather than necessarily giving you advice. Um, they, you know, they bring it to life with the context of an experience they've had. So so look out for those, um, those gems. And also when you're sharing advice, maybe put it in the frame of your experience as well. Mm. Yeah, tremendous insights there. We could talk about another hour about that very point there, but thanks for sharing that. I can see where that's so important. What I, one of the things I try to do when I mentor and, and I volunteer mentor through SCORE, which is an organization here in the I States, yep. is, uh, is to try to help people ask the questions, right? Not necessarily Absolutely. tell them you should do this or that, but help yep. people ask the questions. But that, that's a great way to, to end it. Um, so thanks for sharing that. All right. Where would you like, again, our listeners to go online to learn more about you and about Mentor Loop? mentorloop.com um so yeah we uh the website kind of covers i guess you know everything about our business there's a few videos there and you can also see a demo of the platform if you're interested lucy this has been a wonderful conversation thanks for joining us thanks for getting up so early to join us it's all right we, thank you we, for having me <laughs> oh my pleasure we appreciate the time and the knowledge thank you so much thanks a lot henry lovely to speak to you Folks, thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. We look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.